Welcome to Project 1521, a poetry podcast rooted in the work of visual artist Sandy Rodriguez and the legacy of the centuries-old Florentine Codex, which documented the end of the Aztec imperial reign in Mexico 500 years ago this month. I'm Sarah Harris. Today is Monday, August 16th, 2021. Coming up on this episode, Project 1521 collaborators Darren J. De Leon and Adolfo Guzman Lopez explore the themes of collective voice and total time. We thank you for listening to this podcast. Go ahead, please subscribe, and tell your friends to subscribe so that they can listen to upcoming shows. There's one more left. Look for our GoFundMe link in the podcast description here. And now here's an update about our GoFundMe campaign from Project 1521 member Darren J. De Leon. This is Darren DeLeon, member of Project 1521. We are in the last two weeks of our GoFundMe campaign to raise funds for our forthcoming collection of poetry to help our campaign become successful. We'd love for you to share our campaign with friends and lovers of poetry. We have some exciting news to share. LA Poet Laureate Luis J. Rodriguez has written the powerful foreword for our collection. Rodriguez, author of Always Running, has contributed an exciting reflection that helps the reader understand the context of our poetry. All members of Project 1521 are proud of their efforts, as you can tell if you are a regular listener of this podcast. We want you to join our family of donors. This podcast has featured some of the most powerful work that will appear in the upcoming publication. For a $25 donation, we will ship you a copy of our collection anywhere in the continental United States. And if you have already contributed, we want to thank you for your continued support. You can find the link to our GoFundMe campaign in the description of the podcast. Become family, donate, and share our campaign. Thank you. This is a podcast about poetry and pensiveness with a long view. So let it not be lost on us on this Monday that children are returning to school during a global pandemic, that the U.S. imperial invasion and occupation of Afghanistan is abruptly being pulled out from under a generation of young women who were raised learning to write, to study, to dream, to be leaders when we think of total time, when we speak of collective voice, when we dream of having choices, the long arcs of history resonate in painful ways. We are going to hear from writer, journalist, scholar, and principal coordinator of Project 1521, Adolfo Guzman Lopez. Like me, Adolfo is the father of a fiery spark of a daughter who is fortunate enough to be able to dream big and to ask this question, who are we? This is an untitled poem about my visions within Project 1521. 
there have been about a dozen of us. We call ourselves Project 1521. Our names are Adrian, Gloria, Darren, Leticia, Adolfo, Sandy, Julia, Sarah, Armine, Diana, Iago, Linda. I don't speak for them, but their voices draw a map made of veins inside my body. We wrote, we painted, we left, we stayed, we died, we kept on living. Here are my chapters. Jerusalem, May 2018. I'm at Yad Vashem in a display case, parts of a burnt Torah from Kristallnacht. It's like the one my son read from at 13. I see the burnt edges rise into the clouds where they turn into amate embers. A lamed becomes a footpath glyph. A bet becomes a speech glyph. The embers fall into the blood and water canals. A young girl kneels and puts the pieces into a basket. I return to Long Beach. It's the ninth day of the month of Av, the day that remembers the toppling of the first temple and the toppling of the second temple. We fast so a spark of the people's pain and their loss flows through us. How is the ninth of Av different than the 13th of August? That's not a question. I fast. I read from the book written when families were separated, when the city of immigrants became a city of tents, the book written before the blood dried. It's the book of words by Adrian, Gloria, Darren, Leticia, Adolfo, Sandy, Julia, Sarah, Armine, Diana, Iago, and Linda. Tlatelolco, July 1977. I was baptized under Tesontle in San Miguelito across Calzada Nonoalco. I received the body of Christ there a decade later. That Wayne Newton collar, yippee, that's me. Yes, sirree, look at it, sitting on that path holding a sugar donut, maybe a bimbo donut. My grandmother's apartment in the modernist building down the street. An eight-year-old loading up on memory provisions for the rest of the year in San Diego. In not Mexican-American San Diego, in not Chicano San Diego. It's still in my pockets, the volcanic rock, the porous rock, the tesontle, light, strong. It soaks up ink. It soaks up blood. Location, total time. Date, total time. Sequestered in these four walls, it's time to leave. The times of sisterhood and brotherhood are fading. There's leftover ink, but the book is finished. It's time to leave and count who's left and take account of what we see. Read our words and drawings. Another world is possible. 
I walk out of the four walls into the two suns. One shines its mineral hue, the other blankets me with its plant color. My job is just beginning. Those are some important reflections. In context of, of Project 1521, what is the collective voice saying? Oh, man, there's nothing like the collective voice. I mean, I, <laughs> um, I got I got hooked on it, um, you know, back in the mid-90s with, you know, Taco Shop Poetry, the series that I, you know, organized in San Diego. And, and you know, sometimes there would be like seven or eight readers, performers, and musicians, and there was a collective voice, right? And you know, one reader after the other, then that, that series became a group and we did actual like choral type openings and closings. And we used to do this opening in with Taco Shop Poets where we'd, we'd chant the vowels in Spanish to a clave rhythm, right? Um, so, so, you know, the, the collective voice, it's almost like, you know, you know, I don't know how many vocal cords there are in the in the throat, I don't know. I don't know if you you know. There are multiple, right? I mean, there. I don't know. What, three, four, five. <laughs> I don't know, right? The, there's an S at the end of chords, so yeah, there's more than one, <laughs> right? So your voice is made up of of multiple vibrations, right, coming out, right? Yet people hear, quote unquote, one voice, right? Your voice coming out. So that's been this effort we've been involved with, Darren, for. We're now, you know, what, three years or so, uplifting each other and, and, and helping each other see, hear, feel, and reflecting back, and then somehow bringing those voices together, right? I know it doesn't answer your question of what is the collective voice saying, because I guess you got it at different points. It's kind of like, you know, the jazz performance, right? You know, you're listening to the, to the drums and not really paying too much attention to the, to the bass, but then you leave the bass and you go to the to the other instruments, right? There's a lot of reclaiming that I'm seeing inside the poetry, reclaiming of space, reclaiming of names, of energies, reclaiming of elements that define who we are, the structures. It's something that you, know, that you bring up in, in your piece where you talk about your picture when you were a very young man in 1977 and Tlatelolco, that you're sitting there at the foot of this, you know, of this site, very innocently sitting there. But as we know, I mean that that's that, that was a site of you know of some horrible massacres that happened. But yet you're you're sitting there with your you know with your donut, and just you're very very much in in innocence. Well. The first thing I have to say is thank you to the source of all creation for allowing me to reach this age, to do that, to be that. And, you know, I, I, my grandfather was murdered when he was about 23 years old. I have that death in the family resonates a lot to me that, wow, look at how much more time I've been given, right? Yeah, that photo of me. So it was a summer trip to Mexico City. I was already living 
I think I was living in San Diego already, maybe Tijuana. So we went down to visit my my grandparents and aunts and uncles, and they lived down the street from the ruins in Tlatelolco. And to me, it was a cool, at the time, I remember it was a cool archaeological ruin. And I loved archaeological ruins um, at the time. You know, I was fascinated by this idea of a, a, a city buried underneath the existing city. At the time, I didn't know about 68. It would only be, you know, maybe as a teenager and definitely in, in college. And there's another area of exploration. I haven't even really probed my remaining relatives, and I should, for what they saw, witnessed, lived through in 68. It is um, that event of October 2nd, 1968, the massacre of of students, young people at the plaza who were protesting uh, right before the Mexico Olympics. They were massacred by government troops. So much blood was shed, but it wasn't the first case of blood being shed on that plaza. I mean, you can go back to August 13, 1521. Not only did Tenochtitlan fall, but they were twin cities, right? So just, just a little further northwest is Tlatelolco. So that that city fell too. That eight-year-old me didn't know any of that. But I think what's helped is this concept that we've talked about in Project 1521, really in, uh, introduced and explained by Diana Magaloni, this indigenous concept of total time, of the past, present, and future existing at the same time. So I'm just so grateful to have reached this age, you know, 52 years old, to be able to appreciate and be in community with all of you writers and, and artists and, and, and scholar and be able to explore these things and be able to reflect and be able to go back to those experiences. I mean, just having that image, me in Tlatelolco, now me with a group of writers, now me reflecting on, you know, skipping back to not only the year 1521, but the years you know, in the 1570s, when these Tlaquilos were sequestered in that building made of Tezontle, made of this volcanic rock, right, that you could just find all over Mexico City because it's a light, strong, porous, you know, construction material, right? You know, sometimes I just don't, don't think about it too much because it's, it's, I, feel, <laughs> I feel the weight of it. It, it, it just is. And, and I try as much as possible to just write, write it down write it as plainly as simply as I'm seeing it and, and feeling it. When this project was first started, this was all, of course, pre-quarantine. And then as uh, a couple of workshops had happened, and then you know our first reading, and then we went right into lockdown. And that that was both ominous and got a lot of buy-in for from us. We were able to see those parallels. And all that stuff was very, very unexpected. How did your approach to this project change, you know, in, in that moment when you realized you know, those those commonalities that we had with the Tlaquilos from 500 years ago? Oh my gosh. I mean it's 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 a long list of stories. It's it's the stories, oh my gosh, if you go back you know, I don't remember if it's an episode or two in this podcast, you'll hear a story of olives and mangoes 
in Miami and in Southern California and to Tlaquilos in Project 1521, one with Argentinian roots, Miami upbringing and stops in New York and Southern California and another Tlaquilex, Tlaquila with roots in Lebanon and real painful experience of the Armenian genocide. And so that what stories are being told? It's, it's the stories of our backgrounds. It's the stories of our ancestors. It's the stories of, not only that, but the stories of what we're seeing. I have a difficulty sometimes watching current events. And sometimes I, I think, oh yeah, how can people forget this? You know, like, like the incident here in Los Angeles in which the father is dropping off his daughter at a school and undercover ICE agents take him, you know, grab him, yank him. And the girl, the daughter, has the presence of mind to start filming. And to me, the most, yeah, the images are powerful, but it's the whimpering. It's the crying. It's, you don't see it, but the tears are coming down her face. It's that you, you embody what she part of what she's feeling as she sees her father being taken away for being for being a human being you know and i'm uh, sometimes i see that and it's it's so powerful in other incidents right that i don't think to like right away i have to really prompt myself to put the pen to paper and and just document what i'm seeing because i I then realized later it will be forgotten unless somebody not only documents it, but documents as much as possible the feelings and emotions in the backgrounds. And that's what we have in the Florentine Codex. You know, we've got a lot of pain. We've got a lot of cultural affirmation and, and, and pride. And we've got a lot of, you know, a lot of human emotions and history and ancestry embodied in those not as we know as we've learned in this in this process not only in the written words both in the nawa and the spanish but also in the color choice of what is depicted in the florentine codex so since this is a poetry podcast maybe you could read another piece maybe in particular you can answer this question who, who we are who are we well we're not sequestered anymore. Our sequestering is different. Our sequestering is happening in different ways. Our bondage, our inability to act is happening in different ways. Our names are Tlaquilos. We are the scribes of a generation after the conquest. A priest saw the destruction he wanted to write it down. Who's interested he have in mind? His, the churches, the peoples, all, none? We're left today seeing children die with foil blankets over them 
shields put over their bodies. We see families torn apart. We hear the cries of the kids whose parents are picked up by agents who step out of unmarked and marked cars. We're left with a choice, what to do? Document, write. We can't let our tears dry up. We have to pick up, shovel up the tears, put them into our pens and write. There is and there is not indigenous blood running through our veins. What's our interest? The stories. We witnessed genocide. Our ancestors trekked across deserts and peninsulas. The destination was the place they left. It takes the length of the trip to learn. It will take the length of what we are living through to learn. Here we are in front of the Amate paintings. The painter has done the trekking. She's shown the way. She's gone out to find the plants, to find the stones, to find the minerals, to find the rocks. She grinds them up. They all become ink. Use plant dye for this. Use stone pigment for that. There's meaning. Leave a message. Leave a trail. Let people know what you wrote and why. And hopefully we've been able to answer that question in this collection of poetry. Thank you for your time, Adolfo. Thank you, Darren. I really appreciate it. We thank you for following Project 1521. Adolfo and Darren's poetry will appear in our forthcoming publication. We're putting the finishing touches on it, and we could use your support for the publication. Please go to the GoFundMe link on this podcast page and be the one to help us reach our goal. Our final episode will air next Monday. I'm Sarah Harris. Thank you for listening.